Well, how's it going, everyone? Today's special guest is James Burns, who, if you guys are into the gaming industry and specifically Call of Duty, you will know he plays and voices the iconic character Frank Woods. And so it's great to have you here today, uh, James. Glad to be here, man. How have you been uh, dealing with everything going on? Obviously, the last probably eight months has been kind of crazy for you. Yeah. Um, in terms of the COVID stuff, or the, yeah, in terms of COVID, uh, you know what? I'll be honest with you, it's, it's been almost like a, uh, a reset button was hit. I get, I, I am busier now than I was before the virus because, like, you know, there's no pressure to get things done, there's no work out there, so you have a lot of time. And I'm really good at time management, so the idea that wow, I can read this book, well, I can learn to think, work on my truck, I can, you know repair my garage, all these things that I've been wanting to do, but I just can't prioritize them are now happening. So I'm at the point where I'm actually, I'm, I'm busier now than I was before the COVID. It's, yeah, it's fascinating. I find myself too, like you said, when you're out working and stuff, you don't really realize the stuff you can fix at home. And one of the things I've noticed with you the last couple of weeks has been, you've been doing these live streams too. And was that something that you've kind of started because of COVID or is that before? Well, that actually started uh, the second week of co of the quarantine, and I was, uh, you know, I, I, we're on episode I think eighty now. Yeah. Yes, there was eighty. So yeah, it, it, it's a result of that because I had time to kill. I, you know, I, I've been in contact with the community for years now. It's something I enjoy that, um, and it just seemed like a good natural next step. And we have actually evolved a little bit too. So that's I'm, I'm happy about that. The and we can kind of I want to jump into it right now because something's been on my mind. I recently bought the new Call of Duty game, Cold War, and within the first couple like five six minutes, I'm kind of like, there's something off here. Like it looks like the character, but the voice is different. And so obviously I did some research and I had no idea what the reasoning was for the company and stuff to change names. But for you to be part of the fabric of the certain character in this gaming. Was this kind of a, a shock to you, more so the fact that you don't have an answer why it happened? Uh, it's not a shock because I have no expectation. You know what I mean? There, I, I didn't come into the 2020 expecting anything. Uh, I, again, it's I treat this like a professional sport. You know, you, you, you do what you do, and then the team moves on. They, Activision made a decision what they thought was in their best interest to move on to another actor. They owe me no explanation. Um, they owe me no money. They owe me, you know, basically, they I, I believe in the prerogative and their rights to hire and fire whoever the hell they want. Right. That me. Uh, my, and so, and I'm sincere about that. I have nothing but gratitude towards Activision and Treyarch specifically because they, they gave me tremendous amount of uh, freedom to make Woods my own character. I mean, he, you know, Woods is a true reflection of my, of my, of me. You know, we're, you know, we're very interchangeable because you know, I've had how many a decade of playing this guy, and to be given the freedom to create a character that's really based on how I see the world, my worldview, and and really embed myself. Because I, I wrote, and I wrote all the dialogue of Black Ops Two for him. I wrote all the everything in Black Ops Four. Really? So, yeah. So I wrote, and I've been doing it. You know, I, I've been improv improvising and sort of doing ad lib on even Black Ops 1, because I'm not saying that shit. And a lot of stuff would stick. So a lot of the great one-liners, you know, the, I'm working with great actors, you know, right. and Rich McDonald. A lot of these things happen because you're with great people, and you just inspire. And they say, you know, something really good comes out of your mouth because you have this great environment, and you have a great director like Adam Rosas. So I'm, I'm so fortunate to have the experience I did. So when it comes to the new game, I have no expectations. Now, that being said, <laughs> when, when, I, when I hear the dialogue, when I, 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 I know how I would do it. Now, again, I do not – I want to make sure I don't denigrate or sort of uh, put shade onto the guy who's doing this. He's doing the job. He's doing what they asked him to do. Um, whatever he's doing, he's doing it with you know, his own best intentions for himself. You know, I, I cannot fault an actor. You're making a living. I do voice matching once in a while myself. I get it. Um, uh, and that's, but that again, that being said, man, you know when every line that we do, that I do, 
it's built on several levels of subtext. Because even even that the word dipshit is kind of like, all right, that's that's the East Coast vernacular, dip in shit. Yeah, that's an, <laughs> you can't dipshit is not something you toss out like fuck you. It's like you know, it's like, hey, I know your language bears it, but for me, like, yeah, that guy's dipping shit. That guy's a dipshit. You know, there's a there's a vernacular that came with wood that is it's gonna be hard because it's mine. It's right and it's a very it woods. Um, I wrote him specific, specifically to always speak and he affirmed it. So, um, except for the line, you can't kill me, there's rarely a time when Woods is using it like a negative in, in like, you know, or I, it's always direct. Do this. Go there. It's not, you know, well, maybe I'll beat the, the heck out of you. No. Beat the crap. You know, it's always directed. It's always affirmative. And there will never be um, an aspersion cast. In a sense of shame, because I was a I was a professional hockeyist for twenty years, and I learned that you don't get what you want by shaming people. You, you encourage it, you, you nudge correction. You know, you, you don't want to you don't want to have uh, humor at somebody's expense. You know, you want to include them in it. And so, uh, when when I was writing and I was thinking about the character of Woods, it's very important to me to continue this idea of like teach through affirmation. Uh, teach, teach, you know, communicate through positive elements. So, and which is, hey, you can do this. You know, the, the, the emphasis, the emphaticness comes from a belief in you as a, as a player, as a person. So, come on, you can fucking do this. So it's never like, yo, you fuck, you suck. You know, no, like, you can fucking do this. It's never cast, it's never castrating or, you know, it's never uh, demeaning. So I was like, I fucking believe in you, man. Come on, you can do this. Right, and that, and that is why I think he's, the character is so beloved. It's like he's just—he's he's your he's your guy, and he's got your back. Is it difficult to write for a character that's going to be on a computer screen versus say, hey, you're doing a TV show or a movie, and you're writing the same different character, or is it kind of the same thing? Obviously, with like the greed, the motion capture, and stuff like that. Um, there real there is no difference at well, okay, in the narrative sense, no. Okay. Uh, every medium has requirements. Like when you're on stage, you have to do things differently than when you work in film. And that's different than when you work on TV. And that's different when you work on commercials. In commercials, everything's compressed. You go through a range of motions in 30 seconds. On TV, it's exposition. You've got to be able to deliver a large amount of information and do it convincingly like it actually means something. And in movies, Mostly you can open it up and you get time to develop character. So um, the video games are like a long mini-series. You have a lot of time to develop character. Uh, you have a lot of time to develop plot. But then again, you don't because you got to tell it all in these cutscenes. So it's really more like short films. You're doing a lot of short movies. And that's its own, that's its own motif as well. So um, dialogue is always the same no matter what you do. Um, you know, you always try to write from the top of the character's intelligence. The, the character is at least as it always as intelligent as you are, and you try to write from authentic experience. You know, I've been stabbed, I've been shot, I've shot a gun. You know, I've been in fights. You know, and you, I can tell about in about two pages whether the writer's ever been punched in the face or not. You can just tell that there's none. Right, right. You can tell right away. Like, if you tell when somebody has when they're acting it when somebody's really had an experience like. You know, somebody who's dealt with death is much different to be around than somebody who's never dealt with death or ever seen death in front of them. You know, so you have you, so that informs the way you write and the way you interpret uh, your character as an actor. You know, I mean, when you write, you got to write from what you know, and then what you don't know, you better go through fucking experiences because it's going to come off pretty shallow. You know? And the same thing with a line reading: you read it from the depth of your knowledge, from the depth of your understanding. Like this is it's not just a word. It's like, oh, why am I saying this? You know, and why and what, is, what am I? Why am I saying it? And what the fuck am I trying to get across to this person? Right. That always, and again, the writing and the acting really—they kind of combine in the fringes. Really, you know, they connect. There's connective tissue there for both. For games like this, or like, they, do you have someone on set that has a is a military guy, a weapons expert? For a character like you, obviously with the experience playing that certain character, yeah. you must have to know how to shoot a gun, take apart a gun, do all that stuff, right? Well, that's why I got the gig in the first place because I have okay. a, I had a lot of weapons training. 
Um, I'm a former, I'm a former professional athlete. So physically, and I've done stunts. I've been, you know, I have fight training. So I got the, I, the gig happened because I was testing the technology for performance capture. So I wasn't even auditioning for the job. I auditioned to be like a stunt guy to test this technology that they ended up using for Black Ops, Black Ops One, which is full performance capture. Prior to Woods, they had never used, um, uh, you know, face, voice, and body at the same time. They had three separate sessions for that. So they wanted one, one more, a more nuanced story. So you need to shoot it like a film. So I was brought in because I had weapons training, I had fight and stunt training, and we auditioned a lot of that. Um, actually, the auditions on my YouTube channel. The actual audition. Oh, I gotta check that out. Yeah, it's called How It Became Woods. It's a whole section on stuff like this. And just show, it's the actual, it was September 7th of 2009, and it's the actual audition. Then it shows the callback audition. It's basically, I worked for three months with Treyarch developing the technology, and then I didn't hear from them. Next thing I seen the breakdown, they're you know casting for the role of Sergeant Frank Woods. Originally, it was Sergeant, it was Sergeant Frank Woods, uh, Frank Barnes. Yeah. Now it's Frank Woods, and it basically has my description in the breakdown. I'm like the casting, and I I could I could have given for an audition. It wouldn't let me because I wasn't a star. I was just a, I was just a grunt, you know. And uh, they went through a bunch of guys. I hired a guy, and then Dave Anthony said, "Look at." <clears throat> I want this guy. So I had I had a guardian angel named Dave Anthony. He was the the head of the studio. And he he ran the game. He says, "Nope, I want Burns." And that they brought me in and basically, uh, you know, I just got the gig. But it was really interesting because the um, the whole process, I, Dave fought for me. Like he fought for me to have my voice. And it got to the point where he, you know, I would just just like I'm not going to fucking say this. Woods wouldn't say this. He just wouldn't do this. And it got so disruptive that the director, one of the directors called, called Dave and said, okay, Burns ain't doing the shit. And Dave goes, all right, just him. But if he wants to change it, let him, because he knows his character better than we ever will. And with that type of confidence and that type of um, support, how, you know, think with the pressure to edge. I mean, this guy's going to bat for me. I better be goddamn good. So it really raised the stakes for me. Like, I got to show up. I mean, I was so prepared for him. So yeah, I have a lot of weapons training. They do have, uh, to your question, they do have, uh, uh, they do consult with um, military personnel. Oliver North was one of our consultants. Oh, wow. Yeah, John J. Plaster, whose book I, I just devoured his books on SOG and, and his times, a lot of, uh, Carlos, uh, they, they do their homework. Treyarch does their homework. I mean, they really write from what they, uh, from the, the, the authenticity in there. Um, on set, uh, I don't remember there being a weapons guy on set, but I'm pretty sure that when they brought you know, they brought everybody in, they everybody had skills already. I think that was part of the, the, uh, the process. When did you realize that this character of Woods and the game itself was going to be something up there with Metal Gear Solid or Halo in terms of iconic character? Um, you know, probably the day when I won the VGA. Right. Quite honestly, I had no idea that the, the video game industry was so massive. To me, it was just a good gig. And I love working with Treyarch, but I didn't understand the size of the audience. No one that in the film world, they still don't, they still think movies rule, which is you know, I think just slowly understanding, well, this is this is a huge market that's untapped. Right. Uh, but it was at it was at the VGAs. I was shooting a film up in Portland and I got got the call. Listen. You know, you you're nominated. You, you, you should kind of show up. <laughs> oh well. So that and, and so when I finally I went there and I saw the wow. This is this is huge. I had no idea. I had no idea how big the industry was. So and the woods character. I was just I was playing man. I was having the time of my life. I was playing army for a living. I was playing army and I get to say all these really cool lines and like you know, you know. And, I, and I'm, I'm physical and I'm an athlete and it's like mix and I got you know. I love '60s music, and I, you know, I, 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 I it's all that stuff I recognize. I grew up next door to Green Berets, like my fishing buddy, so I knew all this stuff about Vietnam, and I kind of grew up in that era. So I was having a blast, man. I just had this good gig, and I was, I was a new actor. I only been acting with maybe five years at that point. So this is like one of the biggest gigs I ever had. But I didn't know it. The biggest gigs in terms of oh, I'm working 70 days this year man, as an actor. That's a lot of work, man. Right. So, 
Yeah, I'd say financially, it was a boom. It wasn't great. I'm going to make, you know, I can, I can pay my car payment this year. Great. You know what right. I mean? So it's really more of like, it's more pra pragmatic. I had no idea that this was going to happen at all. When you do like the conventions and stuff like that, yeah. I sense there must be some fans that, I'm not going to say stalkerish, but you must attract people that really want to hang out with Frank Woods. Um, oh yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> but I, I'm not, I, I really, it was a sharp turn for me that my first Comic Con was at Anaheim. I was sort of like, uh, my first impression, oh my God, this is where actors go to die. Yeah, you no, I, I bet. Yeah. But I, as you know, I, I, I pride myself, and I, and again, you know, I, I, I coach thousands of hockey players as a hockey coach. And I really run my voice through my head a lot. Okay, if I was coaching myself, what would I do? And I said, you know, and in that moment, I said, wait a minute, you're being pretty arrogant here. What's the, I always, I preach opportunity. Opportunity is everywhere if you choose to find it. I don't care where you are. I don't care how bad it is. If you are willing to see opportunity, it exists. So I'm, it's okay, I'm here, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I am looking at the wrong thing. Where's the opportunity here? And I go, oh my God, the opportunity is, I get to connect with these fans. I know nothing about them. My opportunity is here to learn about the fan base, see what it is. And once I started doing that, it all makes sense. It all, and then I, 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 I've done dozens and dozens of comic cons. Every time I go, I meet, I meet, I, I find out those stories. I have stories. I don't get, there's one story I can hear about this a woman in Chicago, or I, 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 go on, I don't want to get into it now, but she, you know, told me a story about her, her mother, who was a, a survivor from Auschwitz. Oh, wow. And the impact the game had on her. And I, I, literally, you know, I was in tears over this. Just, but there's so many, like, I can't say how many times I have mistaken fans. Like, I, I'll see somebody walk, a guy walking by, you know, 50 years old, dressed up like an accountant, and I'm, you know, one of my, and the next thing, oh my God, Woods, I love you. I go, holy shit, you're like my age. You know, like, there's, you just, <laughs> I just don't know who the fans are. You know, I see a parent sitting there tapping her toe like, I go, boy, here it comes. And she goes, you get my trash taken out every week. So I want him to have your post because I'm leveraged so they can play the game. So they, they let them. I love you. My kids do their homework because of you. I said, that's what I want to hear. So I, I just don't know what a fan looks like. So I, I think all fans. Yeah I, and, uh, yeah, I can't say how many times I totally have assumed something. And somebody turned out to be just a great guy and a great fan. Have you ever been in like a line or a store somewhere and talking to like a friend or someone all and someone someone that like, hey, is that that sounds familiar? All the time. All the time. <laughs> I remember when uh, Black Apps, I think two just come out. I was going to see a movie and like Grove in LA, right? It's a huge movie theater. And uh, you know, I sound I'm what's a sound, I move like a sound, I look like him. The character looks like me. I'm you know, six foot, 190 pounds, and, and they built, you know, they replicated the character after my body, after my face. You know, they modified it from time to time. But so it looks like me, me, it moves like me. And so I see this, this couple of kids standing next to me, right? And they're looking at me. And the game had just come out, you know, and like they're looking, they're looking, and, uh, and I said, all right, hey, uh, yeah, can I get a, get, the, get a large popcorn and a couple of those uh, diet? And the kid's looking at me like, and I go, yeah, yeah. Go, hey, kid, you can't kill me. And he went apeshit. <laughs> he actually ran away. He ran away. And then by the time I get, by the time I got my order, there had to be thirty kids in the lobby going apeshit. And I wanted autographs. Like I was signing foreheads. I was signing jackets and hand, like, sure, why not? Happens a lot, man. It, it's not. It's a real nice. I I like it. It's um. Uh, it's validation for the effort put in. And I like it because it's like my intention for the, the ulterior motives of the character have, have really panned out. Like, I can't tell you how many messages I get from kids who say, man, you know, this has done a lot for me, this, you know, this character. And to be able to validate someone just by saying hello, you know how much power that is? Like, Change someone's day just because you say, "Hey, man, nice to meet you." Yeah, I'm James Sutherland. Which you know, it's a just to show somebody some attention that maybe wouldn't get that attention otherwise. And the fact that they hold me such high esteem, high regard. I 
I see myself as an access portal into this sort of magical, un, unattainable world. You know, I'm I'm in that world. Right. I have access to it. Yeah, you know, I'm part of that. And all of a sudden, I'm here next to you buying a sandwich. You know, I'm I'm down here cleaning my car. You're, you know, like that it, it, it's ground level access to, to the heavens, so to speak. And great thing, you know, the fact that I can just by saying hi, I can change somebody's day. It, it, it's it's a, it's a very humbling, but um, very rewarding thing for me. When I was in the Secret Service, and we'd have people would having bad days, and this was back in. 2008 to 2014, so black ops was the thing. Yeah. And uh, people would be like having like a shitty day or moping around post or the White House. And we'd be like, stop acting. Why don't you act like Frank Woods? And so I did, for me, <laughs> we we're kind of like, it's yeah. to, to see a character like yourself like resonate, like you said, with everyone from all walks of life. It's yeah. very fascinating to that world that a character can resonate so well. Well, again, I, you know, I, I get, I never served, but I've been around military personnel my right. whole life, cops, uh, firemen, and, you know, I, I was an athlete, a professional hockey player, so I, I understand a lot of the crossover disciplines are there, you know, uh, team, you know, understanding what it is to be on a team, about mission oriented, mission oriented, about being, uh, you know, tactics, strategy, understanding self, personal discipline, about putting aside your own, your, your own desires for the betterment of, of the team. I mean, all of these qualities are, you know, are, are represented in, in Woods because that's, you know, that's what I, I preach as, as a coach. Plus, I studied a lot of philosophies, man. I've been, you know, I'm educated a bit the cause. I, I, I read a lot. And, you know, the whole, the whole disposition I try to present is one of personal responsibility, accountability. Are you accountable? And, and I think that's the glue for everybody, it's all right. Personal responsibility. How are you responsible for yourself today? Right. How do, you, how do you take accountability for everything, not just the good things, but the bad shit too? You know, if, if, if you're creating, if you're creating the good shit, then you're creating the bad shit. So how are you, how are you doing that? And study your self, personal study, personal observation, and personal accountability. Those are the uh, trademarks of, of the wood character. And that's why I think it resonates with so many different people. I mean, all walks of life. This, you know, it's funny. I had ballerinas who are you know, <laughs> anybody who embraces personal discipline and personal accountability is very much attracted to the Woods character. I think. Is there, or what is the one character death in those that gaming block that resonated with you in terms of storytelling? What, what do you mean? What like you mean? a character you had to interact with in that game is Frank Woods. Yeah. Is there a death that kind of hit you? Close to home, or an or an event. Um, again, my experience is a it's it's again it's it's, it's really good to have these conversations. Um, the actors I worked with on set were spectacular, but okay. they they didn't end up in the game. Sam never Sam never uh, spent the day on set. Sam was played by uh, actor Andrew Hawks, who was a marvelous, generous actor. Like he he was there um, a lot of times with with. Mason, I'm talking to a little yellow tennis ball hanging from a rope. That's, that's so the, weird. That's the POV. So I'm actually got to look at, or have an X. This is, or something. Get to actually put a little smile. That, that, that's Mason. So when I talk, I'm talking to this little thing there. Um, the guy who played Bowman um, is Emerson Brooks, who's gone on to he plays Admiral, the Admiral on um, the last ship. Great actor. Just in a. And he and I, you know, really connected. He's he's former military. He's an army captain. His dad was in the military, and he really carried himself. With, I just I love being around this guy. And he we just we just connected. So all that warmth and connectedness I have with uh, with the Bowman character on screen is because me and this guy were buds on set. So and so basically I, you know that. So the deaths are just kind of like disconnected for me because number one, I don't know Ice Cube or Ice Tea or what one of those ices is. Yeah. I confuse those two. Um, so yeah, I never met him either. I mean, that he just came in at the end. You know, Emerson was the guy for me. Um, you know, Rich McDonald is you know he's he's a friend from Seal Patrol. They're movie together. 
but no, um, I don't. It's like you know, problems with what's watching a movie or that you're in. I know what happened, and for me, I'm seeing the things that are behind the scene. Oh, I remember when he fell. Oh, I remember right, when he fell. right. Oh, hey, oh, he's not dead. He, he, you know, there's so it doesn't affect me the same way because I'm not watching from a, a fan's point of view. I'm watching from a, very much an insider's point of view. And I'm like, hmm, let's see how that scene worked out. How did you know? It's always about it's technical for me. Um, but I think it, it probably Bowman would be the most specific death because he was like kind of my guy. And to have him get his head crushed over by the Russian, that's enough to get me pissed off. Yeah, as anyone would be. Is it difficult to work with – if you're not working in front of a, a guy or girl or a cast and you're looking at green screens and these little balls hanging down, is it tougher for you to prepare for that scene? Or do you just treat that as you're so laser-focused into your character? Um, remember this, my premise, everything is an opportunity. Right. Well, how do you take that empty space and make an opportunity out of it? And it varies. And that's and sometimes just having something not be there is enough motivation to, to make the lines really sing. You know what I mean? So, again, you use what's in front of you. You can't ever – whatever's there, you adapt. It's all, and there's no excuse. You adapt. So, for me, it's all the same. Whether you're doing black box theater, which is, you know, theater would just have – Couple black boxes and very rudimentary props, which is very much like being in, in the vine, by the way. That's different, you know. That's different than TV. Chances are, I'm not going to see the people I'm working with. They're going to be off the stars, and I never work with the coast. They're, they're off doing the thing, so I'm going to work with an AD. So you always find a way to make it work. Uh, that's that's again, I preach something: personal accountability, find opportunity. Everything is an opportunity to, if you choose to see it that way. So right. It just falls my best if it's well, I just I'll adapt to that. If you're here, fine. If you're not here, I adapt to it. Love it. So yeah. you you're born and raised in Massachusetts, Pittsfield. So yeah. then how did you get from Massachusetts that now you're in Belgium winning a hockey national <laughs> championship? How does that happen? You did your homework. Well, wow. I, I used I used to um I love hockey and I just actually did a, a podcast with the one of the Hanson brothers, Steve Carlson with Slapshot. And so we went down a bunch of hockey rabbit holes with European players and stuff. But when uh, I saw your bio, I'm like, I, I read it. I'm like, maybe this is a different James Burns because it, it no. seems too kind of ridiculously like random. But so how'd that happen? That was my thing, man. I being being an actor was uh, never on, never, never part of my, uh, not my scope, man. I, I wasn't thinking about it. Uh, growing up, I want to be a hockey player. Uh, I think work for Manifest was pretty good. I played football in high school. I got a place in college hockey, turned pro my senior year. Uh, got a shot with, dealt with the Whalers, hung out in the minors, but I was 21. This is old. not drafted, you know, and I kind of saw the writing on the wall. I didn't like to fight. I'm not that big, you know, I'm 5'11, 190, but there's big guys in the ice. And I just yeah. I, I, fighting wasn't something I enjoyed. I was pretty good at it, but I didn't like it because two things. I was a guitar player. Every time I fight, I break a knuckle. I couldn't play guitar for a week for that. I mean, that was important to me. And, you know, no one wins in a fight. If you beat somebody, he's going to want revenge. He's going to come back. If you lose, you're humiliated. So I, I never saw the value in it. Just stayed away. You know, and and hold your own only if you have to go because you know if you beat a guy in a fight, he's gonna come looking for you, and it never ends until he beats you. Then you're humiliated. Then it just it just starts a cycle of violence that's useless. So anyway, so um, I'm playing. I, I knew that I wasn't gonna make the NHL here, so I jumped on. Um, I make some phone calls. Uh, the buddy I played summer hockey with, he knew this agents in Belgium, like Peter Ubricks. I called him up. I had a pretty good resume. You know, I did, did all right in college, played juniors. Uh, I, was, I was a pro hockey player. Playing, I, you know, the, I played some games with the Binghamton uh, Whalers. So I had, a, I had a resume, and he found a spot for me in, in Heron Falls, Belgium. Uh, flew over there early in the summer. Uh, started playing, and we had we had two import players. Again, in, uh, Mark Barbara who ended up playing with Toronto for a little bit. And then a young guy named John, uh, John Thomas, who played at Middlebury. And we were 
We're good, man. We we won the, won the championship. It was uh, one of the best years of my life. Um, Belgium was. I, I had, you know, I've been to Canada, but never really traveled. Going to Belgium, I spoke a little bit of French, and then I learned to count in Flemish by going bowling. And then I just spent a lot of time in the community. The team was great. We had a team bar, and it was Belgium is a, it's very much like Italy, where it's based around food and beer. Italy yep. is about you know spaghetti and wine, uh, but in Belgium it was is you know beer and. and, and uh, it was just, it was a really nice culture to be around. And we had a good team, and we just happened to win it that year. Do you follow the NHL currently? Do you uh, watch playoff hockey still? Um, I'm going to get into trouble here. I don't want <laughs> my sport, I don't want my sports mixing with politics. I think I, you, you guys aren't rappers, you guys aren't, you're not. This is, if you're, if you're a singer or artist, yeah, I get it. You're just speaking that. But man, you know, you're being paid a few million bucks and you're getting my attention. So play hockey. And I, you can do all you want, you know, but when they started kneeling, I kind of like, I, I'm sick of this. I, I don't. And I've had some bad, I, I, I was, uh, I came under attack by a, a, a BLM protest here. And I was riding my bike through a uh, park and I got, I got chased down by a bunch of Black Lives Matter protesters. So I'm soured on it. And you know, and I had to take measures to protect myself in LA, which is it's fucking insane. That I think I had to protect myself. Right. So when that happens, I just I just opted out of watching sports at all because I don't want to deal with that. You know, it's like a hypocrisy, and there's an idiocy and the hypocrisy about that. That wait a minute, it's like, uh, yeah, I get it. Just because you like like actors, I yep. think actors think that they know shit because they're famous. You know, guys, just because you're famous mean you know what the fuck you're talking about. You know, just you can have you have your opinion, but just because you're famous, your opinion weighs a little more. So be very judicious and don't fucking throw the cops under the bus because that's the hardest fucking job. I mean, I, a lot of friends of mine are cops. And, yep. And man, I have gone through uh, LA uh, driving training through LA uh, PD gun courses. I've done military gun courses. And never once have I heard someone say, your job is to kill people. It's the antithesis of all that. And the way they've been presented, the way they've been, it, I, I'm, I'm furious about it. And so I have, you know, I, and I live in L.A., so my career is hangs in the balance because it's such a, such a stilted point of view. So that's, you know, i got to be careful with that. I need to still make a living. But, uh, no, so when it comes to the current state of sport, I don't. I don't give him my attention. I have a lot of things I want to do right now. Uh, giving that, giving entitled, un, un, uninformed athletes my attention is not, you know, and they're young too. All these yep. guys, you know, they, they've been, you know, professional athletes have been pampered during part of life. I was one. I know what it's like when you're you know, top guy in your school, the top guy at your college, top guy in juniors. You get treated differently. You're, you, you know, you, when you're good, entitlement comes you expect certain things so that comes with the, with the course but it takes it, it takes a few years of seeing reality and say well hmm, you know the world is not black and white and if you do not demand accountability of yourself and i don't hear that from anybody you know you, you can blame you can demand it the cops but you hear no one say well hey all you gotta do is comply you see and i tell the guys on my channel to look at if someone's pointing a gun at you, a cop, and he's probably because he's afraid, and just stop what you're doing and comply. You'll be alive. You know, he's not going to shoot you if you, you know, but uh, again, that, 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 I, I know there are incidents when that does happen, but for the most part, you know, when I see cops getting assassinated, I have friends and cops have been shot. It's like, you know what? This is a dangerous job. The cop tells you to shut up, fucking just stop. What's going to happen? Put your hands up and you know, comply. Most people do that, walk away. 98% who do that, walk away okay. Or right. they, yeah, if, you, if you broke the law, yeah, I, I get it. There, there's some bad instances, but for the most part, for me, I'm like, accountability. And so when I hear sports stars telling like to disobey the police and not like, now, hey, man, until we get it sorted out, imagine if LeBron James just, guys, listen, I'm not saying you're up. Hey, just for now, until we get this sorted out. The cop says, put your hands up. Just put them up. 
just, just comply. Imagine if one of the stars or some fucking actor in Hollywood said, you know, guys, listen, why don't you just comply? When we film, Kapoor's going to just comply. Just do it. It's okay. And let it play out. Because he doesn't want to pull that trigger. But if you start kicking and punching and stealing. He's, yeah, you're going to shot, you know? Right. Yeah, the one thing I have about people in Hollywood or actors and athletes is that they'll pick a side, whether side you're on, but they never pick a topic or something where everyone's in this middle with, whether it's human trafficking or domestic violence, or it's always like this divisive one way or the other. I'm saying this person, you have to vote this way. And it just seems like a lot more can be done if more people thought along your lines of working together and, you know, just kind of hold yourself accountable. And in turn, we all will be accountable for each other. Yeah, I, again, you can't demand someone. You can't demand someone be accountable when you're not being accountable. Right. You know, if I'm do, if you know, if if you if I'm doing what I'm supposed to, if I take responsibility for myself, everything good and bad, then chances are, I will win the respect to somebody who, when I say, look at, all right, I know I'm doing this. I'm here, so this half must be yours. I'm owning this. I'll meet you in the middle, but you know. So that's, and I think a lot of it too is it's such a. Uh, I, I, the, the psychology of being an actor is 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 uh, could be a lifelong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think I, I love rejection. Maybe I don't know why. I, my my reason I'm here is more pathological than that. My simply is I thought it was an easy way to make money. That's what I thought. <laughs> That's what I thought it was. I really thought, oh, you know, heck up. These guys make millions of dollars just to play army. Well, mm, it's a lot more than that, you know. So that's uh, my mistake. So you mentioned you play guitar. Was this in the band Runner? How the fuck? Yes. If you, all right, listen. If you've heard my stuff, then you probably want to be talking. Well, I, I last night I'm looking for it, and I wasn't sure because there's another band I think in the UK. I don't think it was your band called Runner, uh, but like, is that how did you? So were you playing guitar while you doing hockey, or is this something yeah. after hockey? Oh, okay, what happened was um, I'm one of those factory town kids, and my dad yeah. worked. My dad was a raging drunk. He couldn't keep a job. He got hurt in a factory. So making money was always something I had to worry about. Um, I, I, I spent a lot of time alone as a kid, so I, picked, I got a guitar. And I started playing it and learned a couple songs. And then my sister had a friend whose dad owned the bar. And my father used to drink in this bar all the time. I thought, so I've been in this bar my whole life since I was 11 years old. I, I, I've been in this bar since I was 11, so I know the owner. The owner's son is a baseball player. I was, so... We started playing guitar together and ended up just started doing gigs. I was like 14 or 15 doing these gigs at this bar, right, in my hometown. And then I went to college. I kept playing. And, you know, if I need some money, you know, Saratoga, you know, the Saratoga in the summer. And I do eat like 50 bucks from like sing, you know, sing uh, drinking songs. And uh, then it just morphed into something more, uh, you know, moved to New York. I'd, uh, I just kind of was transitioning out of hockey. And I uh, was dating this girl. Her mother knew a drummer, and we kind of got together. And next thing, and I had a few bucks in my pocket. I think we're on a band. And then we're at the, this uh, rehearsal center in down on 40, 40th and 8th. Big, you know, just a ratty, rat-infested uh, rehearsal studio. You know, 20 stories tall. Every room was just kind of just – every bad – uh, Scorsese film about New York. That's what it was. <laughs> Rats and drug addicts and just, and we had a, we rented a room for like 80 bucks a month and that's where our practice room was. And across the hall was another band and I, we used to sit in the, in the, uh, in the foyer, the lobby, right? And, you know, have a beer, just kind of relax. And I got, I got to be friendly with this manager and one day he's going to be, listen, are you guys, you guys ready to go out? I go, probably not, but why? Because look at, I got I got a tour going out and they need an opening act. And they said, Well, sure, why not? You know, and we had like three songs. <laughs> so we went into the shed mode, man. We fucking cranked it together and we uh we opened for uh Joan Jett and Billy Idol at the uh, limelights. Wow. And here's here's the funny part of this. So so I mean I, I, I another motto was always say yes. Always fucking say yes. If someone gives you up, yes, I'll do it just to see what happens. So we were, 
So we're playing this game, and it's just like it's a I've long Bon Jovi here. I got remember those parachute pants? Yeah. That knee high white boots. I got this. I got this long hair. This is like Robert Plant. All that big hair thing, you know. And, and I got the my my singer is a girl named Leilani Brown. She was on, on Dream Girls. Uh, great singer. She's up. She showed up for a song or two. So. We're playing, and the audience is a fun. Is actually a fundraiser for the Hell's Angel Defense Fund. So we walk in, and it's just full of Hell's Angels, thousands of them at the limelight, all freaking drunk. And man, I'm looking around. I, in my uh, in my my bass player is African American. My guitar player is African American. One of my lead singers, my it says like three white guys. It's like holy shit, you know, and. So I said, what are we going to do? I don't know, but just fucking crank the marshals, you know? And so I'm standing there, and there's this one guy. He's pointing at me. Like, angry as hell. Oh, fuck. You know, I don't know what I did last night. You know, I, just, I had kind of a wild week. So at the, at the show, this guy walked over me. You're Burns, right? I go, yeah. He goes, I can't say anything, but I'm Tommy. I go, fucking I, I went to high school with this kid. He had a beard. Damn. I go, you're the fucking hell's angel. Of course you're the hell's angel. Of course you are. And the next thing you know, he says, like, he, he, he pointed out to everybody. He's like, this is my guy. And then next thing you know, they call us back up there. We're just fucking jamming. And it was a great show, man. It's like, yeah. It's like, yeah. Always Fa say Fascinating stuff. Yeah. What do you have going on right now? Now you... Now I know you just worked on the Yakuza game, correct? You well, I actually did that back uh, January of two thousand uh, this year. Okay, is it, it weird? Is it tough being another character after you've already established your, yourself as a really iconic character? I think I lose a lot of jobs because of that. Okay, I'm not a voice actor per se. Um, Woods is mostly live action, and then. You know, he's very distinct. I'm very distinct. And that's, you know, there's guys like Nolan North and Paul um, Baker who just are just fluid. And, and you know, uh, Fred Descori, the, the they have just these magic capabilities. They're, they're flexible. I don't have that. I have a few. I have a few tricks, but not that many. So uh, Yakuza was very much in line with my voice type. Although the guy who does the Japanese voice, I just, I spend a lot of time in Japan. And they have a guttural language. Yeah. And I did a film where I spoke entirely Japanese over there. And it was it's just not it's just not a Western thing, you know. It's like this it's a guttural very masculine in that way. So I hope I do it justice. I was really attempting I heard it before I can't I can't repeat that. I don't have that. I can't fuck with it. So I, 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 you know, I always know to do my thing, do the, do what I think is right for the show. I always know that. Make it my own. So I, I say, look, I'm not going to imitate that, but I'll, I'll give you something strong that belongs to me. But I can't, I can't imitate somebody else. I just can't. It doesn't come. You know, I can do this. It just doesn't. Because I'm too busy trying to understand how to fake it, as opposed to understand what the fuck I'm saying. Right. You're making it believable. Right. Yeah. So authenticity comes from commitment to understanding, not to how you sound. You don't listen to yourself. You just feel it, and it comes out the proper way. In your head, if you had the opportunity, or they were like, hey, a couple years from now, we want to finish telling out the Frank Wood story, in your head, do you have an end game for that character? Oh, my God. Look, I had, again, I wrote for him. I actually wrote out a. Um, an entire universe for Frank Wood. Jesus. Yeah, it's called Tangled Down. It's a movie. Uh, it, it's a uh, it changed character's name, but I, I have an entire three-part sequel. Uh, uh, and basically, it kind of picks up from 1969 moving forward. What happens when he goes into this? So I have a whole alternate universe for that. Plus, when I was writing Black Ops Four, I was trying. We were trying to come up with uh, transition elements to link the Black Ops One, Two, and Four worlds together. And so I came up with all these different scenarios that I submitted to Dave Anthony. He was kind of said, yeah. Because I, I, I got hired as a writer for that. And um, so I spent every day, you know, they were sending the, the, call, the request, okay, I need, you, I need these, this many pages for this. And I sit down in the morning and I start cranking them out. First, 
you know, get the first issue in by noon. I get my corrections, have it done by you know, five, and then we shoot it on Tuesday. You know, that's how, how you know, I love work. I love, I love pressure. I, I want to be the guy in the ice when they drop yep. it. You need a goal. I want to be on the ice when you got to protect the one goal. I want to be that guy. I want to, have, I want to be with pressure. I just, it brings the best out of me. So when I have demands on it, like not having, and not having demands kind of makes me feel like, ah, I get into trouble then, you know? What upcoming projects do you have before I let you go? Is there anything in the book? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a film coming out in December called 92. We shot it during COVID. Um, awesome. Yeah, it, we, it's 11 actors in 11 different countries. And the script is kind of brilliant. I saw a screening of it last two weeks ago, and I, it's, I think it's going to get sold pretty quick. Uh, that comes up. I have um, – what's going on? I'm starting a mentoring channel on my uh, – on Sarge's Corner live stream. So basically I uh, get a lot of conversations started about you know, who's kind of jumpstart their lives. How do I get – how do I move forward? How do I do something? And we forget that, you know, we're not trained in how to find opportunity or build success. We're trained to get marks, to get grades. We're trained to, you know – we try to get attention by twerking our asses or you know, insulting each other over the internet. So, but that doesn't work in the real world. We got to have skills. You got to have capabilities. So, um, I talk a lot of like, kids on the channel about, hey, how do you get started? How do you how do you move forward from where you are? What are the steps you take? So, we're going to start a mentoring program on that, and we're going to open up to a lot of soldiers. So, I'm, I'm mentoring a couple of soldiers right now through difficult times, and uh, odd that. A fake soldier can mentor a uh, real soldier, but I take it uh, with great my ability. And then and, and I got I got a I got some a couple of scripts trying to produce. I started a film um, on the third. So there, there's stuff going on. There's, I'm always there's always shit going on. It's good. And so if I what is the Sarge's Corner? Is that every week on YouTube? Uh, Sarge's Corner live stream uh, happens generally Thursday, um, Thursdays and Sundays, but we'll drop in guest appearances on other days. We're generally on uh, Thursdays and Sundays at 3 p.m. Uh, there is always videos going up on Sarge's Corner. There's a behind the scenes. There's uh, we have a creative element. We have several channels there, and you know, we're going to have uh, and right now like 90 videos on how we made. Black Ops 1, Black Ops 2, Black Ops 4, and there's some you know, creative stuff on there as well. And you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter. Uh, James C.Burns on Instagram, Twitter's James C. Burns, and Sergeant Frank Woods on Twitter. I'm easy to find, man. If you Google me, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Which Just is, don't Google that uh, runner uh, band press photo. <laughs> They'll be like, what happened to Frank Woods? Oh, uh, man. <laughs> We are bad. We sucked. I mean, we're just no. I sucked. The band was good. I just wasn't that. I just wasn't capable at the time. So, I want to uh, thank you for this, James. This was a lot of fun. And, uh, Jim, you're awesome, man. I, I I love these kind of interviews. So you're, you're you're what is this? Uh, what what is this? So we are a private security firm um, that has offices in Los Angeles and Orlando, and we're opening one up in Massachusetts. Uh, that's where I'm from. I live in Massachusetts, and uh, I've, I grew up in Wellesley. I know Wellesley, sure, sure. Yep. And so now I live in Pepperell, which is around Route Two, Four Ninety Five, Nashua Line. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so it's a private security firm that does bodyguard work for bands and um, high net worth clients, events, cruises, stuff like that. So we've been kind of the reason why I started the podcast is because that the uh, with COVID kind of affected obviously and you, yeah. the working schedule. Um, so I just kind of wanted to reach out and talk to different people that uh, had a profound impact, whether on my life or I know other people in the security world. And obviously yeah. yourself and Frank Woods is that person. So no shit, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's always it's funny, man. When you're always talking or everyone can relate to the video games. That's so why I remember growing up with Super Mario and. Siphon filter, but like when I got older and really got into Call of Duty, like Frank Woods was the guy. Like we all knew the characters, we all dressed right. like the characters. Right. So it's it's kind of cool to to talk to like you, who is the the fabric of that character, basically the essence of that video game series. Yeah, I think so. That's why it's really kind of curious as to why they would 
get someone to imitate him as opposed to hiring me. So that's just a curiosity that I may never know. Yeah, but they also replaced a bunch of the other actors too. Like there wasn't just you. There was like three or four too that. But none of the other actors they try to replicate the performances. You know. It, like, oh, I see. I don't. I see what you mean. Yep. Okay, like with Price, like like Price, they brought Barry Sloan, and Barry Sloan had a whole different take on the character. I love that. You know, um, Mason is a whole different take on it. You know, the uh, even Hudson, there's like a, kind of a different take. But this guy who they hired, like either they asked him to, or maybe he just sounds like that. But why would you? It's so close to my performance. And many times he got he did really well. Like that sounds just like me. Well, then why? Not just hire me, and my and my eleven years of experience and my connection to the, to the community. I mean, I I, I carry I have, a, I have these great relationships all over the world in this community. Why not bring that back? Why why hire somebody to sound like me when you just hire me? Right. I guess what bothers me the most about it, and I'm sorry we keep harping on it, but it's fine. they didn't give you a re they didn't tell you why they went the way they did. If they were just like, man, we want to do this thing. Whatever we want to move, cool. But for you to be left out in kind of wango tango land, you're kind of like it's weird. Like I said, they they don't owe me an explanation. It's just it's just like if there was a problem with me, I'm a pretty reasonable guy. Like it's uh, if definitely wasn't money because actually I took a pay cut for Black Hawk Four because they're on they're over budget and they brought me in. So that was like so definitely wasn't about money. And you know it's kind of money they make on this, this project. What well, they pay us what double scale if triple. That's not a lot of money. You know, we don't. I didn't get rich off of that game. You know what I mean? That that paid the bills for a year, basically. I didn't get rich off. So it can't. It's. I don't. It's, I'm really curious to find out what it was. Um, but I may never know. Right. No. Well, hopefully they. Uh, I don't wish ill will towards the game. It's a fun game still. But I again, like I know it's the first couple of minutes. I'm like, man, he looks like the character. I'm like, maybe it's like his brother or twin or something. Yeah. But, uh, no, but uh, again, James, thank you for this, and um, I appreciate the time, and I wish you all the success. All right, John, good luck. Stay in touch. Let's do it again. Thank you. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.